Um, we're going to go right into today's message. So we've been going through a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Now, mind you, we had planned this before Corona hit. And so we didn't really know what this year would bring. And at the beginning of the year, actually at the end of last year, we thought, you know what? The two things that we need to focus on this year, 2020, is going to be as basic as it sounds. It's going to be prayer and reading the word. And so we've made a commitment this entire year. We're going to read the word together as a community. We're going to learn how to pray together. And this sermon series is in line with that. Little did we know that two months into this year, we would actually have to cease meeting here on Sundays and have to revert to personal worship from home, only tuning in online. And so this is something that we didn't anticipate, but the Lord, he knew. And he wanted to prepare our community for that. And so this sermon series is going line by line through the passage uh, in Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles with you, could you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry. The uh, uh, What am I saying? Anyway, okay. <laughs> I'm a little spacey today. Okay. Um, Matthew 6, verse 9. Yes, okay, thank you. Like, what mount was it? Okay. <laughs> thank you, Jacob. Um, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. And this is how Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we're going line by line through this passage Not just so that we can memorize it word by word, but for us to understand what it actually means to pray this prayer. And so for the last five weeks, we've been going deep into the Lord's Prayer. And today, we're going to be going into Give Us This Day Our Daily Bread. So today's message is titled, Our Daily Bread. Now, a few weeks ago... I don't know if you guys remember this far, because Corona time, it kind of like stretches in in ways that are really weird. A few weeks ago, as I was talking about the identity of the church, I proposed this idea that although we start by asking the question, how am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to feel? How am I supposed to act? That's usually the, um, the repercussion of underlying thoughts and beliefs that we have. So it's not just that we have certain thoughts and feelings and we act a certain way just because we happen to. Actually, it is stemming from who we believe we are. So a question that we always have to ask ourselves is, who do I believe that I am? So if I'm acting in a particular way, it means that I believe that I'm a particular way. So for example, if I act like, man, this addiction I will never be able to break free of it. It's because in our minds, we're still slaves. But if we begin to act and believe like, although I'm struggling with this addiction, I feel like God will set me free from this. It means that what we believe about ourselves is that we are someone who has been set free by God. And so it stems from our understanding of who we are. 
And who we are actually stems from an understanding of who God is. So the main question that we need to start with is who is God? If we believe that he is a God who's a father, who's caring, who's loving, who provides for us, then the way that we see ourselves is different. And the way, hence, that we think, we feel, and we act is going to be different as well. So if we believe in a God who's merely a taskmaster, merely an evil judge, or a demanding boss, then how we see ourselves and how we act will be according to this deep-seated belief. And so we need to start from the baseline premise that God is our father. And that's why it starts that way. The prayer starts with our father. And we can pray with confidence because who I am is a child of the Lord Almighty. I am a child of the Lord Almighty because he is our heavenly father. And so when we cry out to our father, we're saying our provider. We're saying our defender. We're saying our advocate. We're saying our sustainer, our giver, our home. He is good, loving, faithful, and constant. And that is the underlying premise from which we start this prayer. He's not just our father, but he's also in heaven. He's a father who's not just close with us and knows us intimately, but he is a God who is seated on a throne in heaven, uncontested in power, in majesty, in honor, and in glory. And then we pray on to say, hallowed be your name. May the name that is above every name be exalted, glorified, sanctified, reverenced, and honored in the way that we live our lives. That's what it means to say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then last week we had JM preach about your kingdom come. Your will be done. It means that we long for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. It means an expression of his righteousness, of his justice, his mercy, his plans, his character. And he said that it gives us purpose for today and it gives us a yearning for what is to come. We pray our, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven for it to be fulfilled on earth with the same fullness as it is in heaven right now. And from this place, knowing who he is and what he will do, we come with a humble confidence to the throne of grace with our needs. And this prayer breaks down our needs into five different needs. And we'll talk about the first one today. We'll talk about give us this day, our daily bread. Next week, we'll talk about and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lastly, we'll learn about lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so these five different needs, these five different prayers are laid out consecutively. Give us this day our daily bread. It means we have a need for physical provision. Physical provision. Sometimes when we've been in the, in the church long enough, we feel like physical provision is kind of like unspiritual to pray about. Like it's kind of unspiritual for us to ask the Lord about this. And this is completely contrary to what Jesus is asking us to pray about. He says, please, by all means, pray for your physical provision. The next part, we have a need for forgiveness from God. 
forgiveness from God. We also have a need for forgiveness to and from others. It's not just okay that we're okay with God. We also need to be okay with one another. And this is part of God's kingdom coming here on earth. His will being done here on earth. It means that we as brother and sister, we're also reconciled. We learn to forgive and we learn to receive forgiveness as well. Next, our need for victory over temptation. I wish it was as easy as to say, once you get saved, temptation just like disappears. And like, oh, you become like a saint living here on earth without ever facing any temptation. But that's not the reality that we live in. We still live in a broken world. And so our need for victory over temptation is something that we need to pray into as well. And lastly, we have a need for deliverance. We have a need from deliverance. We don't know what powers we are under. We don't know what shackles and bondages we are under until we face and until we meet our deliverer. And so today, let's zero in on today's focal point. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, as we talk about this, we need to understand that we are already biased in a particular way. Ever since the Renaissance, our human minds are under the illusion that humanity is central to creation. That we are the end-all, be-all of everything. Everything starts with humankind and everything ends with humankind. So ever since the Renaissance, we believe in the illusion of human centrality. And that's where we get a lot of humanistic thoughts. And ever since the Industrial Revolution, we believe in the illusion of control. Hey, we no longer have to bank on the weather working out. We no longer have to bank on, you know, uh, certain supply chains being there for us. Now we can just manufacture more. We can make things automatic. We can, right now, if I'm hungry, I don't need to go out and plant something and pray that God would make it rain. I actually just walk over to the penny gym. I walk over to GS25 and get a bite. And so ever since Industrial Revolution, humanity has this illusion that we are the ones in control. Every factor, even those things that feel like they're out of our control, now they are manipulable. Now they're replicable. Now they can be substituted by human substitute. And ever since the beginning of the American dream, we believe in the illusion of self-reliance. Ever since... As, a, as humanity, we started believing in the American dream. If I work hard enough, I can make it on my own. If I study hard enough, if I put in all the hours, things are going to go well for me. If they don't go well for me, it's because I have failed. If things go really well for me, it's because I have succeeded. And it's this idea that our lives and our destinies are under our control. And so we have this illusion of self-reliance. But... To pray, give us this day our daily bread. To pray this with understanding and with conviction, we must first acknowledge that we have a daily giver. That it doesn't rely on us. It doesn't start and end with us. Yes, we do play a part. But we have a daily giver that supplies our needs. Someone who, whether we acknowledge or not, makes sure that we wake up in the morning with breath in our lungs, someone who gives you the strength to work, the intellect to receive training and education, 
Someone who gives you time to labor, to love, to make a living, to feed your family. All these things are not originated from the receiver. They're originated from the giver. Now, 2 Corinthians 9, it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This means that even the person who thinks, this is my seed, I own this seed, I'm going to put it in the ground, I'm going to water it, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to have harvest. Even that person has to acknowledge that the seed didn't come from them. It came from God. And God needs to be the supplier. God needs to be the giver even of that seed. Now, back in largely agrarian societies, it was very clear. If God doesn't supply rain, then there's no food. If God doesn't give us a harvest of seed this year, we won't have a harvest next year. And so it was very straightforward in a certain way. They needed to live with the understanding that I have a daily giver, someone who sustains me every day. The moment he stops sustaining me, then I'm in big trouble. It's not just that we need to understand that we have a daily giver. We also have to understand that we have a daily need. We have a daily need. Have you ever stopped to think about this? This is really weird, okay? We were designed as human people to intake and deplete. Intake and deplete. It means that you can't just stuff yourself with food and be okay for the next three years. That's not how it works. It means that you need to have a meal and then another, and then another. And the next day, you need another meal and another meal because as we live, we are depleting that energy. We can't just live without sleep either. We need rest. And that's the way God has designed us. It's almost like he has rigged us with a daily need so that we could look to our daily giver. Everything that you need as a person to be replenished day by day, whether it be food, whether it be rest, whether it be meaning, relationship, all of that, it points us to our need for a daily giver. Now, the wording of give us this day our daily bread, it should ring some bells. More specifically, Old Testament bells, right? It should be reminiscent of a time God brought his people out of slavery, not into the promised land, but into the desert. A transitional period of 40 years where he would teach them that they have a father. He would teach them that they have a provider. That whether they can plant or not is not going to be the issue. He will see to it that they are fed every day. He'll see to it that they're provided for every day. In Exodus 16, 4 and 5, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this day, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. That is to prepare for the Sabbath. And so in this way, God ensures that they will be looking to God for daily provision. I don't know if you've ever been through a season where God cuts you off from your ability to provide for yourself, where you feel helpless. It could look like a crippling disease. It could look like the loss of a job. 
It could look like losing your life savings. It could look like any number of things. And this is God's way of reminding us, hey, Judy, hey, uh, Zach, make sure you remember that you have a giver, that you have a father. It's not ultimately going to fall on what the number of your bank account reads. It's ultimately going to fall on whether you have a father or not. And that's your daily provision. God slowly teaches you that it was actually never about your ability. Yes, you play a part, but it was never about simply and only your ability. It wasn't just about your diligence. It wasn't just about your input or your planning or your strategy or your 10-year plan. It wasn't just about that. It was about the fact that you have a father who's taken it upon himself to provide for you every single day. Now, often in our lives, I wish we could just go through life without having to learn this, le- learn this lesson. But all of us at a certain point, we learn it one way or another. And just when we think we've learned this lesson, then something else comes along and it reminds us, oh, I have a need and I need to go to my father. Oh, it wasn't about this job. I forgot. Oh, it wasn't about this position. I forgot. Oh, it wasn't about my plans. I forgot. It will be over and over in our lives where God brings us to that place where he teaches us just like he did with the Israelites in the 40 years in the desert. Thank God he doesn't spend 40 years just on that with us. Uh, But he will teach us that over and over again in our lives the moment we seem to forget. Now, whether you fall personally, whether you fall on the side of a workaholic I'm a little bit more on that camp or, or what would you call the opposite? A slacker. Okay. <laughs> a slacker. There's, there's no other way to say it. Whether you fall inside of workaholic or you feel like, okay, if I don't put on in these hours, if I lose this job, if I lose favor with my boss and that drives you into workaholic, workaholicism, that's not a word. Workaholism, workaholism, workaholism. <laughs> Anyway, you guys know what I mean, okay? I'm having trouble with my words today. Okay, so whether you fall into that camp or you fall into the like, eh, like, I, I don't really need to work. Things won't, you know, work out. Wh- whichever camp it is that you fall into, we must realize that we need to ask for our daily bread. For those on the workaholic side, we need to let go of that need and the grasp for control. We're like, man, my life... My future, my career, it all depends on whether I turn in this report. It all depends on whether I work these extra hours. And we have in our mind this idolatry that our efforts and our time and what we are doing is actually going to be what decides our future. On the other side, with, with, uh, with um, slackers, right? You have to come to realize that the way that God provides for you daily is an ability to work. It doesn't mean that, okay, well, I have a daily provider, so I guess I'm just going to chill on my couch and eat potatoes, not potatoes, chips. Um, <laughs> really weird thing to eat, <laughs> just chomping at a potato, <laughs> potato chips. <laughs> so you just sit on your couch and just wait for God to provide. That's not the way it works. God is providing for you with the ability to work. And so in this way, in this prayer, we see God's extravagant wisdom when it comes to how we relate with work. 
He's saying your job, your abilities, your strength will not save you, but also I have given you strength. I have given you an opportunity to work. I have given you intellect and labor. Now, it also boils down to this according to the words of Jesus in that same sermon on the mount. Matthew 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The moment that we forget that we have a daily giver who supplies for our daily needs, that's when we are idolaters. That's when we begin to worship money. Money itself is not an evil thing. Worshiping money definitely is. Money is supposed to be something that is a gift, something that is God-given. But the moment that we turn this into something that we idolize, the moment that we look to this for our security, the moment that we look to this for, okay, I'm never going to, you know, get, um, you know, be able to get to this standard of of living, or I'm never going to be able to afford this because this is all it relies on money. Money is going to save me. Money is going to make the difference on whether I get anxious or not. That is the moment that you've begun to serve, not God, but money. And then it continues on to say, and this is a very famous passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, what we will eat, drink, or wear. That's usually what our mind is like revolving around. Already some of us are thinking about what we're going to eat after service, right? What we'll eat, drink, or wear. And then Jesus says this, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus continues to reinforce this idea over and over and over again. He says, hey, you have a father. You have a provider. Why do you act like someone who's not taken care of? Why do you act like someone who has to make it on their own? Why do you act like like God doesn't care about you? You have a father. Are you not more important to the father than the birds of the air? Are you not more important than the things that seem to be taken care of just by his goodness and his grace? And so it's something for us so central and so important for us As we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so there are three points to keep in mind as we meditate on this portion of the Lord's Prayer. First, we're called to work diligently and pray faithfully. It is God's gift that you're able to work diligently. And praying for your daily physical needs isn't unspiritual. You should be praying about your work. You should be praying about the different things that are happening in your workplace. You should be praying into your career. You should be praying into all these things because the Father cares about it too. Second, prayerfully ask if there's a lordship issue. Prayerfully ask God if there's a lordship issue. Keep your priorities right. When you feel anxiety, regarding your work, when you feel resistance in following God's leading, 
into something that would threaten your safety nets, when you feel overly given over to your job, like you have no meaning outside of this role that you play, prayerfully ask God if there's a lordship issue. Have you begun to worship this? That was supposed to be a free gift from your father. Have you begun to idolize it and draw meaning and value for yourself simply from that? And lastly, remember that life is more important than food. Always remember. Is there any? Oh, okay. (laughs) All the foodies in the room, they're like, oh. (laughs) This is... This is red letters. This is what Jesus said verbatim. Okay, life is more important than food. Life is more important than food. Always remember that if we are Christians, then we acknowledge that our life is more than just our physical needs. Yes, pray into your physical needs. Yes, care about it. Invest in it. But remember that that's not all that life is. There's more to life than your physical needs. It is more than whether we have food on the table for the next day. Life is so much bigger than that, so much more eternal than that. Now, there's a moment in the Gospels where Jesus addresses this in a very practical way to someone he calls a rich young ruler, someone who basically had it all. They had their youth, they had their wealth because they were rich, and they had authority, they had power, they had influence because they were a ruler. And not just that, he also seemed to be of good repute with the religious elite, right? Because he said he insisted that, oh, yeah, I kept all those laws. And yet there was a dissatisfaction festering inside. Something that drove someone who, quote unquote, had it all to come to Jesus and ask this question. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So this is a man who had his quote unquote daily bread and more. He had a surplus of daily bread, but there was still something that he was lacking and that was eternal life. Now, Jesus didn't say, don't be rich, be poor. He said, invest differently. It's a lordship issue. So according to this writer called Larry Lee, he says, we must understand that Jesus was not trying to transform the rich young ruler into a poor old beggar. He was trying to break the power of the greed and poverty that bound this young man's soul. He was trying to set him free. And the emphasis wasn't just on what he would be losing, but actually what he would be gaining. He would have a treasure in heaven. He would get to follow Jesus himself. Whatever drove this rich young ruler to come to Jesus and ask the question, whatever was keeping him up at night, although he had it all, whatever made him realize that no matter what riches and power and youth he had, he didn't have eternal life is a dissatisfaction that we see in a life that looks good and full in a worldly sense, but empty spiritually. And so I will end this one with one last passage. Give us today our daily bread 
is possible because we have a father in heaven. And it is proven because this father in heaven did not spare his one and only son. He gave what was of most value to him that we would live a life that is free. In John 6, verse 32 and 35, it reads, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is not just someone who replenishes us for the day, for the meal, or even for the season. But he is the one that replenishes us in a lasting, permanent, and eternal way. In a way that cannot be quenched by affliction, by circumstances, by difficulty, the passage of time, sickness, or even death. This is the eternal bread of life that we have with us.